over the last uh, few months, I'm sure most of you have come to terms with the fact that I am a huge tech enthusiast, uh, maybe a little obsessively so even. Uh, if you've been to the house, you've seen all kinds of Apple products laying around, things that have accumulated over the years, and I'm just a huge Apple geek through and through, admittedly. <laughs> but um, even thinking back, though, I can still recall the time that I first laid my eyes upon an Apple II computer, you know, those old computers that they were making much of back in like, the late 80s or so. And uh, when I was a little kid, I remember coming across this Apple II computer just stowed away in somebody's basement. And I wondered immediately, as a little three- or four-year-old at the time, like, why would that be in the basement? Like, that thing is so cool. It needs to be brought out. Like, I want to I tinker around with it, you know? Uh, well, a few years later, you know, in elementary school, we thankfully had, of course, out in Seattle, you know, the kind of the central part of the whole tech industry, we saw uh, all kinds of um, new technologies in front of us, but there was this one classroom that I loved because there was an old Apple II computer just sitting there waiting to be used as well. And so during recess or free time, I would run over there and uh, quickly found that I just had this affinity for this old game called The Oregon Trail. <laughs> and if you've played that before, <laughs> you'll know the heartache that you experience when all of a sudden your character and characters, plural, all of a sudden just die of dysentery and the game is over. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like, you have died of dysentery, start over. It was a good lesson to learn as a little kid. <laughs> But to this day, I still love, as you all know, using Apple computers and things of that nature. So much so that even while I was writing this sermon, I was writing it upon my work computer, my MacBook, while simultaneously having my iPad, my personal iPad, side by side, right next to the actual computer. You know, I had all my commentaries laid out, my Greek translations that I had written out, scanned onto my iPad right in front of me, and everything's all consolidated on these two screens as you're multitasking. But I say all that because if somebody were to say, well, Rich, could you choose, you know, between either your computer or your iPad, which one would you choose? It'd be a hard decision, admittedly. <laughs> It'd almost be like, <laughs> this is nerdy of me, but it almost sounds like choosing which one of your kids is your favorite. You know, who, which one will you choose? Well, for me, it's almost like, which one would I prefer to use? Uh, it depends on the certain day. Um, hopefully not for those of you with kids, but <laughs> it's the same, same idea, though. I say all that, though, because in the same way as we approach Acts 2 this morning, I realize that we have to, unfortunately, choose one passage over a few others. Other passages that are so wonderful that I would love to explore, and maybe in due time, explore these in greater detail. But in the meantime, I realize that we don't have enough time within a 30 to 40 minute long sermon to go through every verse just piece by piece by piece throughout the entire book of Acts. Um, if we did, we might become known as that church who just, uh, you know, goes through Acts for like seven or eight years in a row. We might have that reputation in our culture. <laughs> I don't know if any of us want to be known by that. But here in Acts, I want to draw our attention to Acts 2. Verses 42 through 47 in particular this morning. And you might be thinking, of course, well, why this one over the other passages? I mean, the other ones are so potent and powerful. As we saw earlier in Acts 2, even you can see this from the headings and all of that included, that, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon the early believers. That they spoke in tongues, miraculously so, known languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. That they were filled with the Spirit in such a way that... Peter, among others, who were just days prior, as we saw from the book of John a few weeks ago, people who were so cowardly in concern of the things of Christ, 
and all of a sudden become bold witnesses right here in the same chapter. And again, I wish we could just zoom in upon these things in greater detail, and maybe one day we will, but I want to fast forward a bit to this last part of Acts 2. Why, you might be thinking. Well, because, in short, we ourselves, as Derek was just alluding to, are a church that is, yes, in mission status. Uh, yes, we even now have a temporary session. You know, three of us even here this morning um, from the temporary session as elders of the church who have been called and, and desire to love you well and care for your souls in this time that we are considered a church plant. But we ourselves <clears throat> can even see a reflection or at least a wonderful example of what we may aspire to be here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Because here in this passage, we see the early church being gathered and equipped, just as we are to this day. Gathered and equipped for the cause of Christ. And so I'd love for us to go ahead and read Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. The word of God as we move into this time of, of recognizing this scripture for what it is and hearing the word of God read and taught to us this morning. So let's go ahead and read this. Acts 2 says this in verse 42 and following, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, may these things be true of us as well. Let's come to our Father in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the one who is over all, that you are the one who has designated even this hour for us to come and to adore you, to worship you as we ought. And Lord, our soul, the soul of our church, cries out and longs for a day in which we will see many more, even outside of our own number, our own congregation as it currently is, come to a saving faith in Jesus. That they would know him and be known by him. That they would know the sweet forgiveness of sins. And repent and believe. And be called by your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as a church you have held us fast through thick and through thin, through the good times and the troubling times alike. And we thank you, Father, that as you have ordained for us to be in this season of life as a church, a time for us to be refined, we ask for your revitalization. For you are the author and giver of life. And therefore we praise you. Would you use this time as your word has been read, uh, to speak gently to our hearts. For you, O Christ, are gentle and lowly. 
we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. That as your word is read aloud, your spirit goes forth even in this place, reassuring our hearts that we belong to you and convincing us of the truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that this very morning as well. Come, O Holy Spirit, and may we hear the word of Christ preached this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, uh, for those of you, and admittedly this is definitely a plug, just to put it out there, for those of you who have been uh, to our community group already the past couple Sunday nights now, um, you'll know that one of the main emphases of our group already has been this twofold purpose of gathering and equipping us here at Christ's Covenant for the cause of Christ. Gathering and equipping. And we see this right here in this text of Acts. We see in Acts 2, as we were reading earlier, in verse 42 especially, and even verse 43, which is the first part of our sermon this morning, uh, an emphasis upon the equipping of the saints. They're being equipped through the ordinary means of grace that are listed right here. And then later on, in verses 44 through 47, we see then a focus upon the continual gathering of the saints, also in light of their being equipped. And so, again, throughout the book of Acts, we will see over and over again this repetition of both the gathering of the saints and the equipping of them, the gathering of them and the equipping, equipping of them over and over and over again, iteratively. But we see here in this passage, and this is why it's so important for us to focus upon, the start, the inception, if you will, upon this gathering and equipping happening underneath the new covenant, this time after Christ's resurrection from the dead. We see here a focus upon this from here on out, but here an immediate sense of this beginning. See, here in particular, um, we see these things of gathering and equipping happening in what I like to think of as a cyclical manner. Uh, To use an illustration, it's like riding a bike. Uh, And for those of you who also might like riding bikes, unfortunately, I don't know how to ride a motorcycle myself, but if you ride bicycles, uh, you probably can relate with this idea. Uh, When you hop on the bike, of course, you have, go figure, right in front of you, uh, two pedals that you must pedal with. Two pedals that seem a little opposite at first glance. One on the left and one on the right. One in the front and one in the back. Uh, But like gathering and equipping, these two pedals must be worked out in tandem. So it is in the life of the church. In order to pedal forward, in order to make any progress, in order to be operating as the church, as Christ has instructed us to operate, we must pedal forward with both of these ways that he has given us. These ideas of being gathered, but also being equipped. And to do that in tandem with each other. This is why we here at Christ's Covenant emphasize both this gathering and equipping that happen on Sunday mornings, as the word of God is preached, as the sacraments are rightly administered, the Lord's Supper and communion and and baptism, uh, when those are brought, when those people are brought into our covenant community, they are baptized. But we also see an emphasis, and rightly so, 
upon the fellowship and the prayers. Things which we also just read about in Acts 2, verse 42. And so we see centralized on Sunday mornings the preached word and the sacrament with the prayers and the fellowship supporting these two things in the front and the center. But we also, as a church, have even just recently, again, kicked off our new community group, which seems to turn it on its head a little bit. You know, Scripture backs up, and the uh, breaking of bread backs up the fellowship and the prayers that we experience in our community groups. Our groups that we experience are rooted around the fellowship and the prayers of the saints, but they are undergirded and driven by Scripture and the sacrament as it makes its way through our lives, and as we even break bread in our own homes together. And so we see this repetition, a very natural repetition within the life of the church, Sunday mornings and then gatherings outside of Sunday mornings, equipping and being gathered, gathering and being equipped. Now granted, of course, Sunday morning is of chief importance, Uh, To go back to that Apple illustration, if you had to choose between either the MacBook or the iPad, which one would you choose? By all means, choose the MacBook. Choose the thing that is of utmost importance, which is, without a shadow of a doubt, this right here. The gathering of the church on Sunday mornings for worship. Community groups, they're well-meaning and they are vital for the life of the church. But Sunday morning worship is of first importance. And that's why we stress are gathering so much, especially as we're looking at the book of Acts. For it's on the Lord's day as we gather, just like the early believers did here in Acts 2, we so taste and see God's grace afresh when we assemble together and worship as the Lord himself has prescribed us to worship him. This is why our church, to get to the heart of it as well, has, in the midst of transitions the last couple of years, continued to not only survive, but thrive. The reason why is not good and healthy leadership, which we have. It's not that we have something within our own power, our own stamina, our own grit that has sustained us. But rather, and I brag on you all often because of this, I really do, nearly every day, Rather, you all have continued to meet for worship, for the preached word and the sacrament, and for the supporting fellowship and the prayers to be experienced. And so now here we are arriving, and if you haven't noticed already, this is much more of a vision-casting sermon, if you will, than what I might otherwise choose to do. But at this point in our church's life, we are at a crossroads. See, it would be so easy for us to fall into the habit of just only meeting on Sunday mornings, of only meeting together and and doing this life-giving work of the church that we see in Acts 2.42, the being equipped, without supplementing it with the gathering of us throughout the week. And I realize full and well that that looks different for each one of us. It doesn't mean that 100% of us are all going to be doing the exact same uh, approach when it comes to gathering. Some people who are more relational might really enjoy it like myself, and others might want to only pitch in every once in a while, once every week or two, and that's okay. But the thing is, we must, no matter what our personality types or dispositions are, we must all likewise 
as a church on mission, also gather, but be equipped. And not just be equipped, but also gather. Friends, I believe that we will quickly lose our vitality, our life source, even our true love, looking at Christ himself, our focus upon him, if we become entirely focused upon only being equipped by the word of God alone. If you've ever tried pedaling with only one leg on that bike, that picture that I painted earlier, if you've ever tried that, and I know I have, maybe some of you kids have as well, you know that you only can get so far, unless maybe you have something strapped in like your foot to keep you (laughs) upright. But without manufacturing it, you really can't get anywhere with only one foot. You must have two feet working in the same motion, the same forward motion. And so it is if we only, in error, choose to be equipped but not gather. Or, which is the tendency in a lot of people in my own generation, choose to only gather without being properly equipped. So the question is here before us then. How do we devote ourselves to being both gathered and equipped as a church? Well, Acts 2, uh, ironically enough, gives us the uh, directive right here in front of us. See, at first importance, we must realize that the work of gathering and equipping is Christ's work, ultimately. And the work of his Holy Spirit in us. If we expect a mere man to lead us going forward, it will fail. I will fail you, and others will, if we are in a position that is not due us. But if Christ, who is truly the head and the king of the church, is the one who is leading us by his spirit, who is equipping us with his word, who is humbling us by his grace and fitting us for glory, is the one that we see and know and recognize as our true shepherd, our great shepherd, in fact, we'll be in good hands. And we will operate in the way that we are meant to. So my challenge for us is to never pretend as if we have this all together, that we know how to do church the right way in our own strength but to rather lean upon the Spirit and the unchanging Word of God as it directs us. I know for many of us, uh, you know, we've been good Presbyterians for a long time. And so our tendency, if anything, uh, by nature, is to be usually on the end of thinking over feeling. Uh, I myself am somebody who has that disposition of being more of a thinker than a feeler. And so when we look at texts like this, we immediately start processing, okay, well, how can I apply this? How do I think through this in my own life without realizing the attendant uh, feeling and emotion that is being conveyed here in Acts 2? Uh, look with me again here so that we don't become lopsided, even in our own understanding of this, at this passage in Acts 2. Read again in Acts 2.42, this following statement. Uh, It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. But friends, read with me this as well. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, what's fascinating is that 
this tendency within my own soul is to immediately, again, start taking notes. To think, okay, well, I can just check off these boxes and then the church life will look good. But it's so easy for me and maybe others like myself here to forget verse 43. The sense of awe that should attend our devotion. The sense of awe as we live before the face of God. As we tend to the work of the church, the work of ministry that each one of us has been called to. So notice this phrase. Awe came upon every soul. And Luke, the writer, goes on to say, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What were they feeling there? It was amazement, marvel, wonder, awe. See, as this church was being equipped by the word of God, as they were being taught and being wonderful students of the word, they also were left, though, with a sense of awe before God. Their entire being, their heart, their soul, their mind, and even their strength were being formed and informed by the word of God as it was taught. I love how Luke goes on to even uh, dovetail these two ideas of both devotion and awe right here between verses 42 through 43. It's not an accident that he attaches this idea of duty with love, devotion with awe before the face of God. Uh, We know from our own Westminster Catechism, which we espouse and which is our, our line of doctrine that we see from Scripture, Uh, the Westminster Catechism tells us that the scriptures principally teach what we are to believe concerning God, but also what duty God requires of us. Belief and action. Devotion and awe. Truth and love, if you will. So may we never view these things, gathering and equipping, as being at odds. Rather, let us see these things as something that goes hand in hand. See, real life as a Christian happens, again, to use that bike analogy, as we pedal forward with both the gathering and the equipping of us as a church. But it has to happen as we are so led by the Spirit of Christ and equipped by His grace for the good works which God has prepared in advance for us that we might walk in them. If we do these things, if we tend to both of these things in a balanced way and keep on pursuing this balance as we ride the bike of the Christian life, we will naturally see, um, really supernaturally see, the Lord bless our church. But the question here for us is then, how does this look at a practical level? How does this equipping actually go about and and form us in our daily lives. Let's go ahead and explore this in our narrative a bit more, because verses 44 through 47 in the second half of our passage go on to explain the practical side of this being equipped, the gathering now. See, in verses 42 through 43, we saw that the equipping of the church uh, looked like them gathering under right sound doctrine and taking it in and chewing on it and worshiping God rightly. But here we see now how the church, in response to their being equipped, couldn't let it just sit there and and fester. Rather, they had to let it uh, air out. You know, like 
like good food that has to be properly eaten up and, and um, taken care of the right way, they uh, digested this and, and took it in and worked out of the energy that it provided. See, in verses 44 through 45, it begins to explain to us now uh, what the gathering of the church looked like. So look with me, if you will, again at these verses right here. Uh, it says this, And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And it goes on immediately in verse 46, kind of cycling back to that idea of equipping. Equipping, gathering, back over to equipping now. In verse 46 it says, And day by day they attended the temple. In other words, they were being equipped. They were receiving the taught word and the sacraments and all that attends it. They were attending the temple together, but catch this, and then breaking bread in their own homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So then it goes back immediately into this idea of gathering in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, in essence, as the word was proclaimed and the Lord's Supper was administered, as the weekly fellowship on Sundays and the attendant prayers and the fellowship of the saints were being had, <clears throat> the people here in Acts were compelled, compelled in their heart of hearts to respond by gathering throughout the week. They couldn't not gather in response to this and talk about it and encourage one another and admonish one another. See, for these believers and their children who received the word and who were baptized, they continued to gather outside of corporate, organized worship. And they, in a very organic sense, continued to meet as they were available. They kept on doing that throughout the week. The prayers were not just um, hosted here in places of worship at the synagogues, and the fellowship there, but rather they took it out to the streets. The apostles' teaching concerning Christ and all of Scripture was embraced there on Sunday mornings, but was also embraced in their heart throughout the week. And it echoed and just couldn't help but reverberate throughout their lives and their conversations throughout the week. As I was being reminded of this passage over the past couple weeks and thinking over this, I couldn't help but think of the passage in Jeremiah 31, verse 34, which speaks of the new covenant given and administrated to God's people after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And it speaks of this truth that God's people would know God, that they would, in essence, know him by his spirit who lives within them. As the word is taught, they couldn't help but receive it and own it. And we see the direct fulfillment of this right here in Acts 2. This fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. <laughs> I can't imagine um, just how pleasantly surprised the apostles were to see the people of God just embrace the truth of God and live out in light of these things. But here's the catch. See, while this passage in Acts is certainly descriptive of the early church, we too have also been filled with the Holy Spirit as believers in Christ. 
as those who belong to him, as we were just proclaiming earlier, in body and soul and in life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We are also people who have been called by him to proclaim his excellencies throughout our town of Culpeper and beyond. Wherever we might live, 15, 30 minutes away, we are called ourselves to make much of him. We too have been gathered and equipped by God's own hand, the one who is the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. And so this passage, therefore, is not merely descriptive of past events, but it is also instructive when we take it to heart ourselves. It instructs us on how the Christian life ought to play out in our own lives, not just what we read about here. And this is why I have been and will continue to be personally emphasizing just the importance of our gathering outside of Sunday mornings. I love the fact that we all gather here, but I also want to emphasize just the importance of meeting at our community group or whatever it might be down the road in ways that you find that you were able to join. Um, Because as we multiply these groups out, we hope that every person would be involved and would be blessed through this ministry. In time, even many of us, as I've chatted with you all, have hoped that we could even, in time, start a ministry for children again, ministry for youth, for young adults. And all these these things can and only will honestly happen if we are involved in the life of the church outside of Sunday mornings as we continue to gather. That's when we'll begin to see these things really take effect and grow most naturally. And so, as I've been just emphasizing these things, Um, I want to encourage you all, because again, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. (laughs) I was telling my uh, one of my best friends, Brian Rigg, a couple days ago, well, actually yesterday at Presbytery even, um, just how honored I feel to shepherd you all in this season of life. Because I see you all doing these things. Uh, Even take, for instance, this morning when all of us were gathered, so many of us, rather, were gathered to help do setup and uh, streamline the whole process I saw this willingness and willfulness to actually be a part of this process and to help me about the life of the church. And I, I thank you for that. And I, again, I brag on you so often, nearly every day. And so please hear this as a word of encouragement that I simply want to help continue to lead us forward as we continue to grow as a church. So as new folks are added, as new people come into the life of our church, they will find a place of rest here and a place to plug in, and a place to belong. That's my desire. Now, because our spiritual DNA, though, um, as a church, comes right from this book of Acts, right from even this passage, this idea of gathering and being equipped, and all of these things that go along with it, um, I can't help but just desire for us to see the gathering and equipping of the church play out in the life of our church as a whole. Sunday morning to Sunday night to other small groups and ministries that are birthed and brought about in time. Now to spell this out a bit more, um, this idea of, of our spiritual DNA and what I hope to see this look like years down the road, vision casting with us for just a moment here, uh, I'd love to go into teacher mode with you all for just a moment here 
And I realize that in preaching you are teaching, of course, but if you all have seen those little handouts in your seat uh, next to you or around you, I'd love for you to go ahead and pull that out with me. Uh, Because it's right here that I want to spell out for a moment here what I would like to propose as the DNA of our church. Things that define who we are here at Christ's covenant. And you'll see these things here articulated. Uh, Before diving in and reading over a few of these things out loud, and feel free to go ahead and read over them yourselves, but um, in the meantime, I just want uh, you to know that, again, I hope you feel encouraged by these things, because I see us doing it already. Rather, I want to continue to lead us forward in the same direction together. Hence these things. Uh, You may see in that sheet of paper in front of you, when it comes to the uh, DNA of our church, a whole list of things right here. And you'll probably recognize even that these words come right from Acts 2, 42 and following. These words like devotion and commitment and others. I'd love just to take a moment to think over these things with you. And I want to pitch to you the idea that we as a church would choose to espouse these things as our collective DNA here at Christ's covenant. These things that, again, come right from Scripture. And so look over these things with me, if you will. My prayer is that we would be known, identified, our DNA would be known as, if you will, the following, devotion to God's word and his work in our covenant community commitment to the application of the functions of the church, that being the word preached, the sacraments rightly administered, and the fellowship and prayers that, we again, we see here in Acts 2.42 being played out in the life of the church. My prayer also, though, is that we would see the multiplication of both church leaders and church members in God's appointed time. And that through all things, we would be filled with wonder and awe in the application of the gospel message. May we also be met with a spirit of togetherness in how we walk with others, in wisdom and in love. And finally, you'll see there in front of you as well, a spirit of unity and our identity as Christ's church as we accept the mission of God. Friends, as we will pick up in Acts 3 next week, Uh, we will see how these same defining elements, all of these things included, even the how-tos, the guiding principles, all these things in front of you on this sheet of paper, were things that not only defined the church, but by the Lord's uh, care for her as he shepherded her through trials and tribulations, continued to hold her fast in the midst of all of that. We will see as we continue on next week and especially in the next few weeks as we begin to see the early church being persecuted, just how the church in this time clung to the sweetness of their fellowship and banded together around these ordinary means of grace, the things that I've been mentioning there in Acts 2. These things ended up serving as the tangible glue that the church saw that continued to bind them together as the church was fledgling by nature and experienced trial and tribulation in both the form of religious but also even physical persecution, which we will read about in the coming weeks in Acts. But see, behind the obvious Acts of the Apostles in the early church, we see something far greater, far greater than these tangible and physical things. 
we see the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ himself, the Helper, the one who proceeds from both the Father and the Son, who gives and grants life. The one who applies the redemption that Christ accomplished upon the cross in his substitutionary and atoning death for our sins. We see the Spirit as the one who protected the church. And so I would encourage us to know that that same Spirit is the one who indwells us. That same Spirit is the one who will um, continue to work in us. For the same Spirit of Christ who raised Jesus from the dead inhabits the capital C Church. The same Spirit who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment is already at work here in our town of Culpeper and beyond, readying the hearts of men and women to hear the gospel of Jesus, maybe even for the first time. The same Spirit who applies the work of redemption to God's people, as we ourselves as believers have already experienced and known, who adds daily to the number of those who are being saved, is the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is and who will be at work in our church's life, here, now, and even going forward. And so we have this assurance. But know this, as a word of warning, friends, that as the Lord continues to grow our church, much like in the book of Acts, we too will also experience persecution and suffering of various kinds. It will look different in our own context here in Culpeper. It might not be as brutal or as heinous as the things that we are about to read of here in the life of the early church, but we will nevertheless face suffering and grief and heartache. Because even though we will seek to live as people who are just enamored with the life-giving aroma of the gospel of Jesus for what it is, many people, those who are perishing, as the scripture says, will see that same aroma as a putrid smell and turn their backs on us, put us down, distance themselves from us. And the persecution, while I dare not even pretend to know what the future holds, the persecution that we will face as a church will look particular to our own context. We might feel it even now, and certain things will get worse. But we also recognize that the gospel of Christ will not fail. That as this goes out, as we are being equipped, as we continue to gather, we will be fit and made ready for whatever comes against us. So the question is, are you willing and ready, even excited, to be gathered and equipped to band around the gospel of Jesus and nothing less? And so as we conclude... I would just like to encourage us with a few brief words. May we cherish the sweetness of our Christian fellowship. But may we also be watchful and discerning not to allow the corrosiveness of sin to creep into our own lives, and especially the life of our church. May we be filled with faith in the God who restores ruined sinners back to himself through Christ but may we also keep close watch on not only our lives, but also our doctrine. May we be marked by the pleasing aroma of the gospel, 
without becoming people pleasers. May we be marked by a spirit of praise unto God without seeking the praise of man. May we pray wholeheartedly, fervently, that the Lord would bless us and grow us in number like he did the early church. But let us never become infatuated with numeric growth in and of itself. May we learn to suffer as Christ suffered for our sake. May we learn to be humbled as Christ humbled himself upon the cross for us and gave his life for us. May we pray for gladness, though, and generous hearts as the Spirit alone can provide us as we continue to dwell upon and contemplate the goodness of Jesus, which he has given to us. Uh, With these thoughts in mind, friends, let's go ahead and pray before him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who sustains us, who guards our souls, our good and faithful shepherd. You are true. God, we thank you that in the life of our church, as we have considered what uh, our mission is, the guiding principles, the DNA, the things that we see before us, may we be people who are unified by these things who see all of this not as the mere direction of a person, but rather principles and instructions that come right from your word, O God. God, as we have read of the early church in Acts 2, may you impress these truths upon our hearts, that we must be people who are gathered and who are equipped by your grace. For without it, we will fail. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you um, are the one who is with us until the end of the age. And you are with us by the presence of your Holy Spirit. So we pray for you to be exalted in all that we say and do. Sustain us, grow us, nurture us, and care for our souls, O Lord. And strengthen us for the days ahead that we might fight the good fight of faith, all for the cause of Christ. So we pray this in his holy name. Amen.